we have a tradition that we should value. There are most places in the country, of course, where they don't have this opportunity. You're listening to Happy Vermont, a podcast about people and places in the Green Mountain State. I'm your host, Erica Housekeeper. Town Meeting Day in Vermont is right around the corner. On the first Tuesday in March, Vermonters across the state gather to cast their votes on local matters. Since 1762, town meeting has been the basic system of governance for Vermont towns. But for the past couple of years, town meeting has been, well, different. Former Governor Jim Douglas served as Middlebury's town meeting moderator for 30 years, including while he was governor. He stepped down as town moderator in 2019. Town meeting participation in Vermont has been on the decline for several decades, and COVID over the past couple years hasn't helped. And Jim Douglas is worried that the tradition of town meeting, which is a cornerstone of local democracy in Vermont, might just fade away. We met at Middlebury College, where Jim Douglas teaches, to talk about town meeting and his role as a longtime moderator. He also shared a bit about his time as governor and adjusting to private life since leaving office in 2011. When you became moderator, would people come up to you at town meeting and say, pull you aside and say, I need to talk to you about some legislative stuff, or let's talk about the big stuff happening at the state house? You know, what was that like for you? Some did, certainly, probably depended on how late the meeting went and whether they wanted to hang around afterward. I began in 1986 when I was Secretary of State because that office provides a lot of advice to municipal officials about town meetings and other issues. And when the longtime moderator in Middlebury stepped down because he was moving out of town, I thought, well, you know, I give a lot of advice on this. Maybe I should uh, dive in and get some practical experience. So I did, and and my deputy secretary of state, Paul Gillis, became a selectman in his hometown of Berlin and I think later moderator too. So I think that was good. And uh, even then people would have uh, questions about what was going on in in Montpelier. But when I assumed the governorship in uh, 2003, my first uh, thought was whether I should continue to preside at our town meetings and whether it would be awkward for some reason. The first year was. We had a lot of TV cameras there and a lot of uh, press. I think the the bright lights of the cameras were a little intimidating to some of the folks, and I felt bad about that because this is not a spectacle. It's direct democracy where people come together to make decisions about their community, and I thought if this is going to be a continuing practice on the part of the press, then I I might reconsider. But it was a one-year phenomenon. It was the first year, and uh, it didn't happen again. So with the exception of having a state trooper who wasn't a resident of the town, probably bored, uh, sitting in the back of the hall, it was uh, business as usual. So people got used to it. Clearly. Right. And can you talk about what a moderator does? What are the duties of a town moderator? Well, the moderator presides at the meeting, has the responsibility of ensuring that uh, order is maintained, that the rules are followed, and that the will of the electorate is affected. The moderator, interestingly, is not required to take an oath of office because he or she has no power. The moderator is a traffic cop, in essence, and fulfills the responsibility of facilitating the business of the community and uh, doesn't have any independent power or authority. So that's the job, and uh, uh, sometimes uh, emotions run high on issues that 
people have a strong view on. But at least in Middlebury, the meetings are, are generally quite respectful and, uh, and calm and successful. And you were moderator for 30 years. Are many people moderators for that long? Have you heard of others? I certainly uh, know some who have. The current moderator of the town of Kirby, John McClory, is well over a half century and probably pushing 60 years in that job. And there have been a, a few others who've been in the uh, 30 plus range. So uh, when I stepped down in uh, 2019, I thought I'm never going to set a record. And it's a pretty good run, a third of a century. And, and maybe it's time for somebody else to have that, uh, that privilege. So um, I decided to pass the gavel. And was there any particular reason you decided or just it felt like a- it just felt like a good time to move on and uh, been thinking about it for a year or two but I wanted to be sure that I didn't uh, make an announcement that I wasn't running without having a worthy successor lined up so that uh, took a year or two and to give a little background about town meeting I was doing a little bit of research and I read that the first town in Vermont that was chartered was Bennington and that was back in 1749. And the charter back then said that everyone would come together in a town meeting to make decisions that were required to conduct the affairs of the town. And that's basically how the annual town meeting tradition grew. It came out of that. Is that your understanding as well? In Vermont, uh, there had been town meetings in other states, mostly southern New England, for some time before that. But uh, the first town in Vermont, as you know, it was uh, Bennington. And um, within fairly short order, Governor Wentworth of New Hampshire chartered another 130 towns or so, including Middlebury in 1761, and uh, a number of others were organized after that. But in the old days, the business of the municipality could be conducted by all the voters coming together and making decisions uh, whenever that was necessary. There wasn't any town government, really. It was just the proprietors uh, who had received the charter from the royal governor to organize a town. Uh, There was a provision in there to have a a meeting house and a settled pastor to care for the spiritual needs of the community, but that was pretty much it. But after a while, in Bennington and elsewhere, people realized that it was getting quite cumbersome to call all the voters together, all the adult males together on a regular basis because they had fields to (laughs) plow and crops to harvest and uh, other business to take care of. So towns began to select men uh, to take care of responsibilities between town meetings and selectmen and other public officials' uh, responsibilities grew from that. So now we have a system of um, municipal officials uh, that's quite robust. In some cases, it's all volunteer. In the larger communities, they may hire a manager or two cities have full-time mayors. But it all started with um, the purest form of democracy, people coming together and making decisions as a community. And I read, too, that during the late 1700s, that town meeting was the most powerful political entity operating in Vermont. And it's played this very important role in Vermont for the last 250 years. Can you talk a little bit about the tradition of town meeting and why it's so important in Vermont? I think it goes back to the beginning. Towns were chartered as entities before there was a state. The state wasn't formed until 1777 as an independent uh, entity, and then, of course, joined the Union 14 years later. But prior to that, we had towns. And so even today, we hear about local control and the integrity of the municipality as a unit of government. 
perhaps now, given our demographic shift to excess, but it's always been very important and it was the initial unit of government here. And of course, until the 1960s, each town had a representative in the Vermont House. So even then, the importance of the town was quite strong. But times change and uh, state government has assumed more responsibility. But originally, uh, the town was key, and uh, Vermonters understood and respected that. I know, of course, COVID has changed so much, and some town meetings went virtual or postponed or what have you. But even before, say, pre-2020, like, did you start to see a shift maybe in the 90s or the 2000s about people were maybe not coming to town meeting as much, or it just didn't seem that important to the fabric of the community? Yeah, I think it's really been going on for a good half century or so because people have have lives that are different. Uh, A lot of people, um, me included, for a long time, live in one community and work in another. In my case, 50 miles away. A lot of folks uh, can't get together during the day on the first Tuesday in March for one reason or another. So a lot of towns uh, began to move their meetings to Monday night, the night before town meeting. At one point, the legislature said, well, we'll provide even more flexibility. You can meet on uh, Saturday before town meeting if you like. And by special charter arrangements, a couple of uh, towns had their meetings set for dates in May for whatever reason. So we began to see uh, more flexibility in terms of the timing of the meeting. And then uh, the Australian ballot uh, became more prominent. It started in Vermont in the 1890s for the election of uh, officers uh, at the state and legislative level, but crept into town meeting business too, because a lot of folks said, well, we aren't getting a hefty percentage of our voters to come to the assembled meeting. Uh, Maybe important questions ought to go on the day-long Australian ballot. Election of officers is quite common there. Um, Increasingly, budgets are voted on by Australian ballot and what the uh, statute calls other questions put on the ballot, too. When I was Secretary of State, uh, we had a lot of discussions about this. Uh, Is that a bad thing? And my view at the time was uh, that one size doesn't fit all. Uh, Communities should decide for themselves. It's It's a democratic decision to use the Australian ballot, if that's what people want to do. So we shouldn't prescribe it uh, from Montpelier. Why do they call it Australian ballot? Well, not surprisingly, it started in Australia. Prior to the uh, use of that system in um, Vermont and elsewhere, candidates were chosen by party caucus or convention. There was no primary election. Then they would, um, at town meeting, in many cases, uh, cast their ballots. And the uh, Constitution says that the constable of every town carries the ballots to Montpelier to be counted for state officers. Well, uh, that doesn't happen now. But Australia began this uh, system of um, having pre-printed ballots. The original ballots were printed by the parties in many cases. And so you just clip it out of the newspaper and take it in and cast the entire Republican or Democratic ballot. And that's why newspapers uh, were often named the Republican or the Democrat or whatever. Yeah. So Australia, you know, don't think of them as being in the vanguard of reform, but uh, they thought, well, maybe we should uh, have the government print the ballots so that they're objective and have the polls open for a certain amount of time. People come in and mark them. And so that spread quite widely here in the late 19th century, too. Do you get a sense of any towns? Like I used to, my first job as a reporter way back when was at the Caledonian Record up in St. Johnsbury. So town meeting, you know, this was in the early 90s, but town meeting was, of course, a big deal. But do you still think there's parts of Vermont where, and COVID aside, where town meeting is 
a big deal? I think it is. Uh, it, it's based largely on the size of the community. Middlebury has more than 5,000 registered voters now, and I often wondered what would happen if they actually all showed up. <laughs> I'm not sure even the uh, athletic facilities at the college could uh, accommodate them all unless it were the football field, which is chilly in March. So we have a couple of percent, five percent at most of the voters who come to the assembled meeting. And some would argue that it's sort of a self-selected representative town meeting, not exactly as the formal process has unfolded in Brattleboro, but it's often the same folks year to year who come and are really uh, engaged and participate actively. We started uh, decades ago uh, having the town meeting in Middlebury broadcast on the local uh, radio station, and then subsequently the cable interactive uh, TV station in town. And so I think a lot of folks who might not think they're going to stand up and speak or ask a question will uh, stay in the comfort of their homes and participate that way and then go to the polls to cast their Australian ballots. But in smaller towns where the the turnout is a higher percentage of the uh, voters, where the meeting is a stronger tradition, that continues. And, of course, in many communities, the midday meal is a highlight of town meeting day, often potluck, but sometimes a local organization might um, use it as a fundraiser to make some money. I read uh, decades ago about one community that sent out the word that um, everyone on the checklist uh, whose name began with A through L should bring an entree and everyone M through Z should bring a dessert or something like that. So traditions are different and they seem to work. You know, since the pandemic, it seems like town meeting has really been kind of upended and not the same. And as you said earlier, it's already for the last half century, it's been changing. People are too busy to go during the day. It's not really the same. What do you think the future will be for town meeting in Vermont? I'm concerned about it because of the pandemic. We were seeing a trend away from active participation anyway. A lot of people uh, just decide to leave it to their elected officials. They trust them to make good decisions. If they saw a budget go up by a huge number, they might be more motivated to to engage and resist it, perhaps. But I think increasingly people have come to the conclusion that, uh, well, yeah, I'd like to go, but I've got something else to do that evening or that day, and uh, it won't be a big deal if I miss it. And Uh, The increased use of the Australian ballot was facilitating that to a degree. The pandemic really, as you say, upended this uh, completely. And I understand uh, it's a once in a century public health emergency that demands a different kind of response. But I hope it doesn't last any longer. I hope that we can get back to a true normal next year where folks can come together and participate uh, as we did for many, many years I suppose even after the height of the pandemic ends, there'll be folks who may be compromised from a health standpoint or or nervous about getting in a big crowd. And so um, carrying meetings on local access TV is certainly a good idea going forward. But I think it's important for public officials to be held accountable, to be confronted by their constituents. And I think it's important for voters to continue to participate in um, the last bastion of direct democracy in America. As a citizen and Vermonter, why is town meeting important to you personally? The town is the initial unit of government in our state. 
It's where um, most of our tax dollars go, uh, principally to fund the public schools. It's uh, the unit of government that's closest to the people and to which we're most likely to complain if we have a concern about our road or trash or whatever it might be. And we have a tradition that we should value. There are most places in the country, of course, where they don't have this opportunity. They simply elect officials to make all the decisions for them. There may be a public forum where they can go and express a view, but they can't actually make a binding decision. In Vermont and in other New England states, every registered voter is a legislator for a day comes together and participates in the kind of direct democracy that began in ancient Greece many years ago. And I think that's a tradition worth keeping. Another value, I think, is that it brings people together at a time when we haven't been together much and when I think the degree of polarization in our communities has grown. I think it's a lot tougher to dislike someone if you come and sit next to him or her at a town meeting or even if you're across the room engaging in a respectful debate. We get to learn different perspectives and understand how people feel differently from we do. And I think it uh, really can play a key role as we come out of this pandemic. And especially now we're, you know, kind of hiding behind our computer screens and our phones and we're, you know, everyone's, it's easy to be mad at someone, but town meeting, it's, it, we're all kind of human and together and visible. So it, it does change that dynamic a little bit. Definitely. Have you been to other town meetings in Vermont besides Middlebury? When I was Secretary of State, I I visited some. It was difficult because um, the Secretary of State and his staff or her staff uh, generally are on duty. Yes, it's a paid holiday for state employees, but not for the Secretary of State's office. So we were standing by ready to answer questions from local officials or voters who had them on, on town meeting day. But for a couple of years, I had an idea that I implemented to invite secretaries of state from around the country to come and see a town meeting. So I had uh, a number of visitors for, I don't know, three, four years in a row, perhaps, to come and watch. And some of them were interviewed by local media uh, to get their impressions. And I still remember uh, TV interviews with some of them who said, oh, oh, yes, it was wonderful. And I I think what they were really thinking is, good heavens, you give the people the opportunity to actually make these decisions themselves. <laughs> Are you crazy? Yeah, but I thought it was uh, an eye-opener for them, a nice experience. And so I was more likely to uh, visit some town meetings and other communities with them as opposed to just going around on my own. And, you know, um, a lot of governors hopscotch on town meeting day and drop in. And I never did that because it's not a spectacle. It's government in action. It's a participatory democracy. And Other than attending my own town meeting, I I just uh, didn't feel that that was appropriate. There was an episode where Governor Cunin uh, went to a town meeting in Duxbury, and and, uh, the rule is that uh, if you're not a voter, you don't have a right to speak, and you may be invited to by the voters who are assembled there. Well, someone objected to her speaking. They had a ballot vote on whether to allow her to speak at the town meeting. It passed, but not overwhelmingly. So my thought was, they have a limited amount of time. If it's an evening, they want to get out of there. I don't want to take up time with some political drop-in speech uh, when they've got business to attend to. That makes sense. That's smart. I wonder what, do you know what Governor 
uh, Kunin had to say once they allowed her to speak. I don't. <laughs> I put in a call. I haven't heard back to from the Vermont League of Cities and Towns to kind of find out what's going on with town meeting this year because I'm interested in finding out kind of what are towns holding them. Are any in person? How many are virtual? Kind of what? I don't have a sense of what the landscape looks like this year. Do you? It would be just a guess that it'll be somewhere to last year where not many were, even though people are feeling more comfortable. Obviously, almost everyone is vaccinated in Vermont, but still there's some reluctance to get together with a big crowd in a closed. Yeah, an old, <laughs> some old 17th hundred building. <laughs> Without ventilation, right? Unless it's an open window and it's zero. So I think a lot of them will do as they did last year. That's what the legislation allows. Put issues and elections on the Australian ballot and uh, have an, an informational Zoom meeting of some sort with a small number, probably figuring out a way to have a real meeting, perhaps in the spring. Well, I hope it turns around and I hope so much time doesn't go by that town meeting is sort of faded away and then we're like, oh my gosh, what happened to that? That's my fear. If this were a 10 or 20 year pandemic, and I'd really uh, be concerned about the future of the institution, perhaps we can survive too. Since you left office 2011, so full disclosure here, I was working in the Vermont Department of Tourism when you decided not to run again. And I said, oh no, there goes my job. But I, I somehow stayed on for a little while. But you left in 2011. And you've kept a pretty low profile. I mean, you publish a book, you teach at Middlebury. Was that transition hard to get used to? It worked fine for me. Uh, there are certainly counterparts around the country who have a lot of trouble with that. There's an old saying that the day after his successor's inauguration, the governor got up at the usual time, put on his suit, got his briefcase, went out and got in the car, and it didn't move. Well, of course, uh, I learned to drive and Continued doing that after uh, leaving office, and we're not very pretentious in Vermont, so it wasn't a difficult transition at all. I wanted to be sure, though, that when I left, I had something to do right away. And the former president of Middlebury, Ron Leibowitz, reached out and said, uh, hey, how about uh, coming back to your alma mater? And I thought, um, that sounds like a great idea. And the first uh, couple of classes overlapped with my gubernatorial tenure, so I was in office on the first two days of class in 2011. The students might have been a little intimidated to have a state trooper in the classroom for those two days, but we got through them just fine, and and uh, it's been a great opportunity ever since. I remember reading something the last day in office. I would always hear about the Dodge Neon that used to drive when you were state treasurer for many years, and you'd make the commute from Middlebury over the App Gap to Montpelier, which is treacherous in the winter. But the last day, you had to drive the Dodge Neon back home, right? You didn't have your driver anymore? Exactly right. And uh, I remember when Governor Snelling left office in January of 85, some of the staff uh, pelted his car with snowballs as he left, and they decided to uh, recreate that scene with me in 2011. That was okay. But um, I looked at the parking lot, which, as you know, is very tight there near the state house, and it was full of a couple of TV remote vans and Every possible space was taken up by a car. And meanwhile, the cameras are rolling. And so I thought, what if I hit a car in the parking lot on my first day driving after eight years? Well, I was very careful and made it out there okay. And then we got down to the Mad River Valley. And uh, my wife said, slow down. I said, huh? What? And she said, you know, uh, you can't drive trooper speed. 
<laughs> so I complied. You complied. Oh my gosh. And how did it feel when you were getting the snowballs pelted? Was it, I mean, obviously it was all in good fun, but. It was fine. Um, a nice uh, tradition of sorts, I guess, but it shows uh, how abrupt and easy that transition is. I was driven to the office my final day by a state trooper, as I had been for eight years. And at uh, 1.30 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I turned into a pumpkin and got back in my old car. And I was reading in your book that you spent a lot of time in the car. You were all over the state. You found, you know, there's a lot of value in seeing people from every corner of Vermont and going to events. And you were invited to things probably all the time, every day, pretty much. Certainly was. Uh, I felt that it was important to get out and around because uh, that's how I got a lot of ideas. I got a sense of what the priorities of Vermonters were, what their concerns were. Occasionally, it was a personal issue that came up with someone. Um, my application is lingering in some agency for a permit of some kind. Uh, the staff used to say that they dreaded when I came back to the office the day after being on the road because I'd have a whole bunch of to-dos that I would uh, parcel out among them. But a lot of my detractors uh, tried to uh, insist that I didn't spend enough time in the office. And I thought, well, I guess if I were uh, trying to get rid of me, I'd use that argument too. But I really felt that uh, I was empowered by being out among Vermonters. And sometimes when I was talking with legislators about issues that we had different views about, uh, I would say, uh, hold on, folks. You know that there's nobody who talks to more Vermonters in the course of a day or a week or a month than I do. And they couldn't dispute that. And I also remember knowing this from personal experience working in tourism and people would always say they were amazed that you remembered everyone's name. You'd meet someone once and you remembered your name. How did you do that? Well, I think the legend might have been a little greater than the reality, but I think I was above average at it, frankly. Part of it is getting around and seeing people frequently. The toughest challenge was uh, encountering someone I hadn't seen in a long time. Probably the the most difficult was seeing people who had been legislative pages and were now grown up because they changed quite a lot, or seeing someone out of context. I remember uh, seeing the town clerk of a uh, town on the Massachusetts border in the Northeast Kingdom, totally out of context. But I cared about Vermonters. I wanted to know about them, learn from them, understand what their hopes and aspirations are, and, and it's hard to do that without uh, knowing who they are. As governor, was there one or two big highlights for you? I mean, I'm sure there are many things you're really proud of, but anything that really stands out for you? Well, a couple of uh, unexpected events. I didn't expect to be uh, in office during the Great Recession. We've had a more recent experience that was deeper but shorter in terms of its economic impact. But the Great Recession lingered for a couple of years. A lot of Vermonters were out of work. A lot of families were struggling we put in place a number of programs, some great public-private partnerships. We got free firewood to people from our state forests. We increased eligibility for food stamps. We did what we could to get people through a tough time. And there was an analysis by a major news organization that said we were among the best states in terms of how we recovered from that period. So I felt good about that. In terms of uh, policy initiatives, um, health care stands out. A couple of years before the Affordable Care Act passed the Congress, we had a significant reform measure here. And um, I was uh, honored by AARP uh, for 
presenting what they called at the time the most progressive reform in healthcare in the country. It was quickly subsumed by the ACA, but I felt really good about it. Uninsured rate came down by about a quarter uh, in a fairly short time. And what I'm particularly proud about is that we did it on a bipartisan basis. Peter Welch was the head of the state Senate at the time, and we had some differences uh, on funding in particular going in. But in the end, um, he was a great partner. He wanted to accomplish something, as did I, and we came up with a plan that we still are proud of today. So unfortunately, things didn't go down so well in Washington a few years later on that front, but we can be proud of what we did here. What about anything particularly challenging? You look back like, oof, that was really tough. Well, I was uh, in office during the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, another unexpected responsibility of my tenure. We lost more people per capita than any other state. I spent a lot of time uh, attending funerals, comforting families, delivering eulogies, something I didn't expect would happen. But it was uh, an important experience. Uh, I recall one uh, mom of, of a uh, casualty who was quoted in the paper as saying that she had the officers come to her home as um, the notification process uh, generally uh, proceeds. And she said she still didn't believe it was true until the governor called her. So it was a lot of poignant experiences like that. But we've developed several memorials to those who given their lives. We uh, uh, worked with the legislature to get some additional benefits for survivors of um, people who served and sacrificed, and a number of additional programs for those who came home. I had the privilege of visiting our troops twice in the Middle East, in Iraq, Kuwait, and Afghanistan. That was a very meaningful experience, too. They didn't know I was coming, <laughs> so it was quite a surprise. And on my second trip, um, I brought some Vermont maple syrup along. Do you miss that part of your life? Well, I took it very seriously. I worked hard. I was on the job all the time, getting around the state seven days a week. My wife came along on weekends, and it was an adventure, she would say, for all that time, but she enjoyed it too. I overheard a conversation between my wife and somebody else at an event, and the question put to her was, on average, how many nights a week is he home for dinner? And her response was, on average, zero. So my point is that I worked hard. I was eight years older when I wrapped things up, and I thought probably it's time to pass the baton and let somebody else have this opportunity. Thanks for listening to Happy Vermont. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon, Pandora, and Stitcher. And if you have story ideas, comments, or just want to say hello, I would love that. You can email me at hello at happyvermont.com. Thanks again. Take care and talk to you soon.